are listening to the Fuerte Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of We Are Home AZ, an immigration podcast by immigrants and for immigrants. The reason that we've wanted to bring this podcast out is to try to get the word out on what everything actually means. We all see the news and we all see press releases. We all see everything that goes on uh, in the actual media. But do we really understand everything that's going on? So hopefully through this podcast and through our own explanation, we'll be able to get a better grasp, a better understanding of what it means to be an immigrant and what immigrants actually go through here in this country. Joining me right now is Carlos Yanes. Carlos is going to be uh, my co-host here and we are going to take you through this journey, especially explaining everything going on with the We Are Home campaign. It, it has been an incredible journey to try to get here and to try to get this project off the ground. We've been talking about it for a few weeks, and I'm glad that we finally able to get into the studio, get in front of the mic. So, Carlos, welcome, and uh, thank you for being a part of this journey with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Muchas gracias for having me. Uh, bienvenidos a todo to our first episode. I'm extremely excited, especially as an immigrant myself. I know how hard it is to digest immigration stories, immigration uh, policy and immigration news. So I hope this is helpful for everyone. Definitely. And now, Carlos, we've been talking over the past few days about our own journeys and our own paths to actually get where we are right now. Uh, why don't we take a minute right now to actually tell the people who we are and why we care about this? So I'll go ahead and open the mic to you for you to actually tell us who is Carlos Yanes. Muchas gracias. Este, uh, I'll, I'll give you all a full introduction. My name is Carlos Yanez Navarro. I am originally from Chihuahua, Mexico. I'm currently a DACA recipient, but before that, I grew up fully undocumented. I went to school fully undocumented. A lot of people get into immigration after hearing a specific, you know, a news story or meeting a specific individual. I think for me, it was always in the background of my life. My parents, you know, being afraid to drive, I don't really understand why they were afraid to drive. I just knew they didn't really want to drive. I knew, you know, my family was different. We were told not to tell people we were from Mexico. We were told all these things, you know, to hide, to not say this, to never say that, uh, to not tell friends or even my teachers. It was like a big taboo. It was a big secret. So for me, I realized very young that that made me different and it made me care. I think just because that the fact that I went through a lot of the issues that we see on the news today uh, that got me into not only immigration organizing, but uh, uh, helping other people with not only understanding immigration policy, but also understanding, you know, the, the human side of, of the issue. I completely understand. I, I share with you some of those experiences, you know, going in the cars like I don't know if you if, if the same thing for you, but you see a police officer, you duck. It doesn't matter. Like you could be just wearing your seatbelt, it could be everything. Like, no, you see the police, you duck and make sure that they don't see you. Why? I don't know. That's a reflex that I still have to this day sometimes. It is so hard. And I don't think that people understand what you say th about keeping it a secret. It is so hard to internalize that in yourself and not be able to tell people why you don't go on vacation when all your friends do, why you don't go visit family or why you don't travel, why you don't do things that maybe your your classmates and everything do. And that that's something that I have seen when, when with, uh, with my growing up. So, uh, I myself am also formerly undocumented, former DACA recipient, grew up in the uh, West Valley of Phoenix, brought here from Mexico by the time I was eight months old. So, yes, I am full blood in Mexican. I cannot tell you east from west over there. I, I can't name all the states. I can't, I, I know absolutely nothing because I grew up as an American. I learned, you know, already as a teenager is when I learned what it means to like not have papeles like why we can't go to mexico and all this stuff that's going on right now 
And uh, some of the things that have happened in my life, things like SB 1070, like Prop 300, things that shaped my life the way that it, it has gone a certain way, not from my original plan, because the way that my mom brought me up is you're going to go to school, you're going to go to college, you're going to have a great job and you're going to live a very good life. And to me, it's like, all right, all I got to do is go to school, be a good kid and I can live a great life. That's a done deal. And to do that for most of my life and then to realize that it wasn't for me in my eyes, it wasn't possible anymore. That was a real heartbreaker. And to see a lot of people nowadays be able to give these students resources that I may or may not have had. I don't know what I could have had anymore because I didn't have anyone tell me. All I knew is that I couldn't get these scholarships, so I can't go to college. That was the end of the road for me. And uh, now people are coming out with private scholarships, with grants, with different coalitions, sending kids to college, getting our people into these higher education establishments so they can make something of themselves. And yet we're all painted with the same brush, that, uh, that, that dreaded I word, you're an illegal. I want to ask you, Carlos, when was the first time that you heard that term, an illegal? It is illegal. I remember growing up, uh, hearing it on the news, hearing like certain politicians talk about it. Even people, when we go to the grocery store and stuff, I think I'm very, very lucky in the fact that I was able to reduce my accent. I've always been good at imitating sounds. And I think one of the most important parts, I guess when I first started hearing that kind of stuff was reducing the way I talk and imitating sounds that, you know, that I realized that some people like i wouldn't be attacked for it basically right i think and I, I and i have to say you have an excellent podcast voice so <laughs> <laughs> Muchas gracias. Uh, and i think for me now the the term illegal <clears throat> kind of sends me into into a i don't want to say a shock but it sends me into fight or flight mode right and i've realized that uh and i think growing up my parents tried to protect me as best as they could they didn't want me to be exposed to any of that stuff. They didn't really tell me what my status was. I think that's something we start developing and, and realizing within ourselves and the things we can and can't do. And, you know, the, the ways that we're different from our friends at school. Uh, I remember telling one of my friends in, I think it was like the fourth grade, oh yeah, no tengo papeles. And they were like, oh, for real? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you don't have papers? And I'm like, yeah. Like to me, like when I was really young that it didn't it didn't hit how, how much of an impact that was on everyone else. Right. That was just, that was the way it was. Okay. I, I don't have papers. No one else in my family does. My, mm -hmm. my tios, my tias don't, uh, my cousins don't. What's, what's the issue? I'm still a person. Right. And then, you know, SB 1070 happened. And then you start seeing all those raids, the ICE contracts. You start seeing people in, in basically like camps. I remember seeing camps like on the side of the road, like Joe Arpaio, everyone was scared of Joe Arpaio. And then right. on Univision, that was the thing they were talking about. And then uh, Jan Brewer, everyone, everyone was afraid. I remember everyone being afraid. Yep. Yes, cuando se me pegó, like that's when it hit. Like, I have to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you stop saying it. Yeah, yeah, I, like, I fully get that. Uh, I really have to stop. And then it wasn't until, for me, especially like in high school, when I realized, oh, um, this is having real effects on, on my future. Because for me too, like how you were saying, like, you just have to go to school, be good, mm -hmm. get really good grades. And it hit like my junior year of high school where it was like, oh, do you all want to take a dual enrollment class? I said, yeah, because free college. I knew college was expensive, but I hadn't realized how expensive it was going to be. And my classmates got a dual enrollment class paid for. And then me and the people who I later found out weren't documented because of that. Because back when I was in high school, uh, the the Lo que siguió después de SB Everything that happened after 1070, uh, no one really talked about their immigration status. 
right. it's a miracle that I'm here in front of you just saying, yeah, I'm undocumented. Right. <laughs> that took a lot of like development and my own organizing and my own skills to be able to be comfortable sitting in front of another person saying that. But at the time, I didn't know my friends were undocumented. It was the fact that all of us got denied financial aid when we were in high school for a dual enrollment class that I figured out, oh, you don't have papers either. It, there's this many of us. So I think it's insane. And then I found out people from middle school weren't documented and everyone just kind of started having those moments where they were like, we're different. Right. And, and, and it almost it almost in itself builds a sense of community in that you find out something similar about yourself. You know, mm -hmm. you find out that whatever that you've gone through, they probably went through something similar because it's something that affects you so much. Uh, I think like when I was growing up, I kind of went through like a, I think most of us have an identity crisis. And I think being undocumented kind of added another different layer on top of that, because my friends who were U.S. citizens, for like first generation here, second or third, they would go to Mexico more often than me. Right. And, I, and I knew that. And they would tell me, what do you mean you don't know anything about over there? You haven't visited? Like, you don't know where La Reforma is? <laughs> you don't know this, <laughs> like, Gidea, or like, uh, you don't know this slang word? Like, what are you? Like, uh, a lot of times growing up, I felt less Mexican than my friends who were able to go over there. And right. I would get made fun of for that, like for being like whitewashed or for being like too American. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, like I can't go over, I don't have the same access to, to, right. to the land as you do. I haven't set foot there in like 15, 16 years. So when I get made fun of for not knowing the specific slang word or not knowing how to get to like my, my house that I had over there or how to get to my abuelita's house or if I don't remember something, I'm just like, I'm Americanized for, for kind of being like trapped here. So not, not only are you trapped here that you don't have access to it, but society is pushing you to be this way. Like yeah. we want you to be more quote unquote whitewashed. We want you to be more American per se. And so that I, I, I completely understand that struggle, that, that, that internal struggle for you. So now moving on from the childhood of growing up as undocumented, what was it like for you when DACA was announced as a program? I think around that time, um, era pura lucha. <laughs> I, I got involved pretty young um, and I've been, I'm tired. I'm, I've been fighting for a long time and I'm only like 22. <laughs> so I can't imagine how everyone else feels. Pero I remember uh, my sister, my older sister, she is two years older than me. She was the first one in our family to kind of get that program. And we were super, super lucky. Um, my mom kind of like picked up the slack for everyone else. We would translate. We were we were there with her for for the whole process. But my sister was kind of the first one to to be eligible for the program. And I mean, back then, everyone thought it was fake. We right. everyone yeah. thought like, oh, the government, you know, we're gonna pay them, and then they're gonna come and pick us up. That yeah, was kind of because like you're general. pretty much what what it was in the beginning for for those of you that don't remember you're an undocumented person giving the government every piece of information about you who mm -hmm. I am where I live where I work where like this is who I am like where you can find me so yeah and and, and above all that paying you for this uh -huh. so like there was a lot of um, there's a lot of fear yeah because yeah. pretty much I'm gonna pay you this money so you can come and deport me yeah and I think people. I feel like I don't realize that it, at first it wasn't a relief. It was fear. Like mm -hmm. everyone was feeling fear. No one knew what this was. And it was kind of the job of like community organizations and, and different other people to kind of quell that fear and, and say, Oigan, like this is okay. Like this is something that will help you. So my sister kind of started um, that process for my family. She was the first one. I'm glad like my mom wasn't like, <laughs> 
but fear didn't get to her because I do know a lot of people who were so afraid that they did not apply. They just thought it was fake. It wasn't going to be good. Like the government, I think people have a very good reason to mistrust the government. Right. Uh, everything they've done. I think uh, the U.S. government just does not have a good history of of keeping its promises. And we've seen that with, you know, I think a lot about like the uh, after this land was was taken from Mexico and then, you know, created to the U.S. Like, yep, I, I learned all that history of, you know, U.S. citizens were deported uh, because of their skin color after that. So I think like there's a big sentiment in in our communities and even back home of distrusting the the U.S. government and that kind of follows us here. But I'm lucky that uh, my sister was able to apply for it. She got it, and that kind of made my family trust the program more. So when it was time for me to apply for it when I was in high school, I ended up applying for it. And even then, I didn't really know like kind of, what kind of like impacts it would have on my life. I was like a 17 year old. Like, right. <laughs> uh, you're asking a 17 year old to to understand the weight and the impact of immigration policy. When I should have been out with my friends, you know, like having fun. I wasn't having fun. I was kind of organizing and, and fighting. Right. Growing up myself, it wasn't so much that because I, I got involved later on. I think I was uh, I was in my in almost in my 20s when I first started uh, getting involved. But uh, it's st still like going out itself. Like, no, like all my friends are going to this party. Well, you're not going to this party because <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. If they get in trouble, they get a slap on the wrist. If you get in trouble, it's completely different. And uh, and so. Maybe that's why I'm so antisocial now. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. That's all this trauma. This is therapy for me. Well, <laughs> uh, but um, I re I remember when when I was able to get mine because that was my first taste of just getting rid of that word undocumented. Like I have something that at least I can't get you know taken from my home at this moment. You know, it's mm -hmm. and uh, and even though it, it was a relief at the time, it's still like just a band aid in everything that's going on it's, it was it's never meant to be a long-term solution even though some people think that it is like no like we need better reform in order to actually get full peace of mind but for me it was a way out of killing myself because i would um since i was since i was a teenager i would work construction and uh and working as a roofer in arizona in the summers is let me tell you it is killer uh, like just uh, try to help out, you know, try to help my mom with her bills, uh, try to um, make sure at least myself and my sisters, it, our school supplies, everything that that wouldn't come out of my mom's uh, check. Like, geez, like if she was able to take care of the house, I was if I was able to get them a backpack, you know, there's pencils or whatever it is that they needed, uh, at least to get that li little bit of pressure off of her. And then being able to now get a job somewhere that isn't construction. I could be in an office. I started working retail, you know, in uh Yeah, like in uh, restaurante, like different things. So like where at least even though it, it may be hard work, I'm not in the direct sun. So that was definitely something I took away from from being in that DACA program. That was kind of my lifeline into thinking that I could have a better future now, thinking that I could mm. be something other than, you know, a just a construction worker which i mean no disrespect my entire family did it all their lives and they were able to all support their families support their homes keep their keep our family afloat on that it is but it's just you know growing up if you're able to want something for your kids better than yourself then i i decided to that that is the road that i need to take so that's definitely something that i wanted to get to now since daca happened up until now, we haven't really had much in the way of breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. That is until this year, 
that a lot of stuff has been happening this new Biden administration and uh, we get to uh, what happened this morning with the uh, Build Back Better plan. Uh, we had definitely uh, uh, wanted this first episode to be a introduction, kind of talking about where we're from and getting into the debate on uh, whether or not people should continue to use the word dreamers, because that was what we were originally going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we, we had an article ready and everything, but this morning uh, at a time of recording, it is Thursday, the 28th of October and uh, we there was a release on this update for the Build Back Better plan. We have a little bit right here. So on a press release today, President Biden announced the framework for the Build Back Better legislation that invests $100 billion in immigration to legalize the status of undocumented immigrants. On top, that just sounds beautiful. Yeah, it sounds perfect. Right? It sounds like exactly what we need. It sounds like a godsend. It sounds like the end of a movie where all of our dreams are coming true and we now have a road ahead. The only problem is we don't have all the details. So exactly. it, like you and I, we've been talking about the uncertainty and the lack of trust in the government. This is, this, me lo pusiste bien bonito de colores y todo, but... What does it mean? So uh, for for when when you first saw that this morning, like what 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 did you take from that? So I think c coming from my background, I am always very cynical of the government, and this is coming from someone who campaigned <laughs> for Joe Biden and has campaigned for all these other people. But I think for me that doesn't mean I trust them. I think they're better than what we would have had, but it doesn't. Make I think me that trust is them. for for now that is like the war cry that we've had in the movement now it's better than what was there yeah. it was the best one around but we have never really had a great candidate mm -hmm. for us yeah and i don't specifically trust joe biden so when i saw that news story in the morning i looked for details because yep. to me that just sounds like uh un bonito bonito yep. like on a much larger bill and you know the u.s congress kind of has a as a way of, of sneaking ugly things into bills and we've seen that with dreamax in the past too uh, but sin embargo, eh, you know, I, I was reading that and I was looking for details. I was like, where is the 100 billion going? Is it going to go to enforcement? Are you yep. going to give money to ICE, to Border Patrol? Is it going to go to immigration judges, hiring more judges, reducing the case backlog? Where is it going to go? And I think the big takeaway here is that this is kind of a promise. This is not a, a set piece of, of legislation that has passed. It doesn't mean that it's going to pass. It's kind of a, a it's a framework. It's called a, the Build Back Better framework. Yep. So it's kind of Joe Biden saying, this is what I promise to do if it's passed. This is what it'll do if it's passed. But I think it's important to remember that uh, I'm not sure if everyone remembers, but the parliamentarian is kind of standing in the way of of a lot of immigration provisions and in those big bills that that the government has been talking about. So this is a promise. Not really. And, and that is another thing that I wanted to get into, because the parliamentarian, what is it? You hear that word, like I hear that word, and it's like, oh, so what are we a monarchy? Like, is this the English, like the the people that make their 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 laws and everything under the king, the queen? Like, what is the parliamentarian? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's kind of hard to understand because I think before uh, this administration and before these bills, their role wasn't really that important. They kind of govern the the rules on what's called reconciliation. Like that's that's mm -hmm. the big like legal term that, that the government uses. But it's essentially reconciliation is just like budget provisions. So like the U.S. government has a budget, like like we all do. Yeah, it's weird to to think that like our government has a budget. So every time they set a budget, you can add new things into 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 bills and stuff as part of the budget. So with reconciliation, that's just a process of of them approving a budget. Uh, and essentially, if 
it kind of superpasses the the rules of of the government usually you need like more of a majority to pass the legislation but through this process you don't need as much of a majority so democrats have a good chance of of passing something if the parliamentarian uh, allows it and the parliamentarian kind of governs the the rules on reconciliation so that's kind of why we haven't really heard of who that is yeah and, and it's before. important to know that these are not elected officials they're not these are not people placed there by the the public uh so th- this really should not have any kind of power over legislation it should be like it could be like someone giving you advice or something like that mm-hmm. but like to to overall like stop it halt it completely that to me that is ridiculous because yeah. we elect our officials like if even when when we win when we lose elections it is elected officials who vote yes or no and like to start stop policies so for people to have not been elected having this sort of quote-unquote power because it seems like mm. more and more like they do it seems yeah, like they do came out of nowhere right? yeah and and like for me that's that's something completely ridiculous but that is that it, they, these are the waters that we are kind of treading right now um and of course you you touched on it a little bit that democrats have the chance Mm-hmm. to come together and to make this happen and a very good chance but that the, the, the key term is come together yeah and of course we all know especially here in arizona that that is not the case mi favorita cinema <laughs> oh my <laughs> lord i mean i think one of the things that made me extremely angry uh was actually finding out and doing more research and realizing that you know the parliamentarian it's like how you put it they're kind of like an advisor. Yeah. They don't have like decision-making power. So if the vice president really wanted to, she could just sidestep the parliamentarian and, you know, kind of bring that into like into reality. Right. Pero no lo hicieron. Yep. But I think on the terms of cinema, I campaigned for cinema too. <laughs> y ahí le devolvemos a... And, and, and yeah, it, it, we, we go back to like, que más sabía? Yeah. It was either her or McSally. Yeah, and McSally's horrible. And She's yeah, always been horrible. At, at this point, it's like... Ah, mm-hmm. and she's there, kind there, of there was no there was no other way to go. Yeah, and now she's standing in the way of of what we need. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so definitely want to uh, encourage people to reach out to her and continue to let her know that this is what we need. Continue to let her know that this will help our community, the community that put her in office, the community that has backed her through all of this. Even though she has not shown interest, she has completely disappeared off of you know. The face of the earth. I, th- I think she was in Europe or something, like doing yeah. like who knows what. But it was us that put her there, and now she needs to fulfill her promises, fulfill what she said she was going to do, and that is to help us. I think they forget that they wouldn't be there without us. Like exactly, they, you would not have gotten elected, especially as a Democrat in Arizona. You would not have gotten elected without the organizing of all these immigrant rights orgs. Like you had like 15, 16, 17 year olds like out in like 120 degree heat yep. campaigning for for this person. And now they're breaking. She's breaking their promise. Yep. Going and knocking on doors, doing everything that. And for, for those of you that have never done field work, field work is the lifeblood yeah, that gets nice. the campaign going. Because, of course, there's the decision, the candidate, the candidates, the advisors, the decision makers, the planners and everything. They can make as many plans as they want. But it's the volunteers, the people on the ground that actually get all of this going right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our case, all, all the um, the orgs and everything that we know are 
you know, our people, most of them immigrants. Yeah. A lot of them undocumented. A lot of them undocumented. And, and, and you know, just fighting to, to try to be here on an equal ground with everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think for, for us, it, it starts becoming more important because we don't really have a lot of access to civic processes. And when I say that, I meant more like, I can't vote. I can't do any of this stuff. But yep. I can influence you to vote in a way that, you know, doesn't violate my human rights. And now, uh, after after the announcement from this morning, uh, a couple of the takeaways that that this has brought us. And again, this being recorded on Thursday, the 28th, this is very fresh. This is very yeah. new. So we don't have all the details. But uh, one of the uh, takeaways here is that the consensus is that this is a step forward. Mm -hmm. This is a good thing. And we are seeing uh, we are seeing people fight for us. We are seeing our champions actually fight for us and try to get the ball rolling on this. We're trying to get the legislation passed that would benefit families, that would benefit all of the 11 million undocumented workers that built and continue to build this country. So this going forward, I want to be optimistic about it. I am a little jaded, especially after everything that we've been through, but this is a good first step. So like, okay, ya hiciste lo primero, let's keep going. Yeah. Let's let's see what you do tomorrow. Let's see what you do the next day. Let's see this pass and try to try to move this forward. What what did, what did you feel about this? I think for me it's more of like keep pressuring them, like keep the pressure up, keep emailing them, keep texting them, keep calling them, like make sure they know that this is really really important cuz if it's just the 11 million of us, they might not really listen, but if it's everyone, right. then maybe like we'll have a good chance. And I, I really do want to be optimistic. I think immigration has just been such a big thing in my life where at this point I'm like, oh, another disappointment. Because <laughs> I was there for 2010 when, when Democrats were about to pass the DREAM Act and then it just kind of didn't happen. Yep, and then it, you have 2016, 2017. We were talking about it, how it made it to the finish line. It just didn't cross. Yeah, and it just didn't cross. And I think having been there for all of that and then those big movements, you start to become a little... A little jaded, a little, a little sad and, and angry, but I think we have a really good opportunity and I don't want to let this go. I think for me, like this is super, super important. I want to see this pass. This is one of the most comprehensive like immigration bills I've ever seen. I read right. the legislation. It includes not only DACA recipients, but people who couldn't apply for DACA recipients. That's extremely important. TPS holders, people from different nationalities, people who don't have any type of status at all. It's just one of the best bills I've seen. And I would really like for it to pass. Yeah. Another of the takeaways that consensus comes forward with is that our goal is still the same. So even though they presented to, presented us with this right there with, without any kind of big details about it, our goal is still the same for citizenship for 11 million. Yeah. Don't tell me all this and then say the same thing as DACA. Okay, we're going to give all this, but to this demographic or to these kind of people or only to uh, like the kids that were parents of kids that were born here, like don't put stipulations yeah. on all this. If we asked for 11 million, we want 11 million. So that's important to not budge on this sort of thing and for them to like stand their ground. We have the numbers. And when I say we, I mean the Democrats that are on Capitol Hill, yeah. they have the numbers to do this. And if they come together, they, it, it is possible. So it, this is no more excuses time. So right now, Democrats need to deliver. Democrats have promised citizenship for undocumented immigrants for decades. Our communities helped mobilize the voters that put Democrats in the majority. This is the year Democrats must translate their promises and their majority into victory. 
That is the key. There's no next year. There's no next election cycle. There's no next administration. We're up to bat. And this is the time to do it. I think we, we can't wait. I mean, that that single promise of, of making sure that we have our human rights, you know, giving us citizenship, that promise is almost as old as I am. My parents may say, oh, we only care if you're okay. Right. But I care if they're okay. Exactly. Yeah, because that is that is what they're going to need. That's what everyone needs to be feel safe in their home. Because whether or not, like, the uh, national government likes it, this is their home. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's what it is. And and the final takeaway I want to p- want to put out right here is that immigrants have earned it. The nation could not have made it through the COVID crisis without our immigrant workforce, and we cannot fully recover without them either. Who was out there still in the fields, still doing construction, still doing all of this, while the rest of the country was, you know, stay at home, was you know, collecting their their stipends, collecting their checks, and everything? Who kept the country running? It was everyone that didn't qualify for that stipend that we didn't qualify for those. Yeah. So all, all, all these people kept it going. So this is not even one man's opinion. This this has to be fact. They have earned it. Mm-hmm. I think even on the basis of them being people, like why would we want to deny people these rights for any reason? I think everyone deserves the right to feed themselves, to clothe themselves, to uh, transport themselves without being afraid. Everyone deserves the right to, to not fear like being taken away from their families. The kids shouldn't have to worry about their parents being taken away or not, not being able to go to school. I think more than anything, I think they have earned it. But I think just based on the fact that they're people, I think you earn it by being a human being. And I think everyone, regardless of immigration status or where you live, you deserve a basic set of of li- li- living. Like you, you deserve it because you're a human human being. And I think if Democrats really need to deliver, because for a long time, they haven't really seen us as human and neither have Republicans. So I think this is the year where I think they need to step up their game. I need to I need to see them make actual work and progress towards it because the promise is way too old. Exactly. Carlos, I want to thank you for being a part of this first uh, episode. And the first of many, I hope, is that we continue to bring people the all the news that is going to be coming out in the next few weeks, especially now that it's that the ball is rolling. Like we 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 were talking about earlier how we wanted this yeah. to just be introduction. Like, no, this is happening now. So this is what uh, this is what we're going to continue doing this. So make sure you guys tune in every week to get updates, to, to get to hear more stories. We will have special guests on telling their immigration stories, their success stories, their failure stories, because the, if it's one thing that our people do is get back up after we get knocked down. And so everything that uh, everything that has to do with with our people, with our immigrant community, we're going to be bringing this to you. Uh, I want to also send a special shout out to uh, the Fuerte Network for allowing us to be on the platform. Executive producers, Don Medina and Zenia Orona with um, also in in conjunction with Lucha and with the We Are Home campaign. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Uh, Carlos, thank you for being uh, here and sharing your story with me. We're going to be back every week. How do you feel about that? Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. I think you're, you're, you're getting stories from the mouths of two immigrants. I mean, uh, instead of getting it from, from the mouths of people who don't really know uh, the experiences, you're getting it from us. And exactly. then, you know, we, we're not going to explain it to you with legal jargon or, or going to say it like in these big, big words. It's just a casual conversation and we want to make sure you're informed. Exactly. So you guys make sure you guys uh, share, like, subscribe, uh, any anywhere you guys get your podcast, whether it be uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, 
Google Plus, anything that you, uh, everywhere that you guys get your podcast, you'll be able to listen to this. Uh, make sure you guys tag your friends, share the stories, um, and leave a review if you can. It definitely helps out the podcast. It's definitely going to help us out in order to reach our 11 million people. Because let's make that our goal is to reach 11 million, 11 people, million people with people. this podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much. I have been Dani Orona here with Carlos Yanes, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you guys. Nos vemos.